Hi, welcome to our podcast. To learn more about Liverpool One Church, join us live, give financially and to get involved, head to liverpoolonechurch.com. We believe God wants to do great things in and through your life today. Enjoy this message. Well, hey, good morning, Liverpool One Church. Why don't you guys go ahead and take your seats? It really is amazing to have every single one of you join in with us today for the start of a brand new series that we've called Unfinished that is going to, in essence, be running right the way up to Easter. And then on Easter, we have a really specific, special message that's going to tie this whole thing together. But honestly, you've chosen a great day to come and be in church, especially if this is maybe your first time or it's your first time tuning in. In online and if church isn't ordinarily what you do, I want you to know right from the off, man, you're so welcome here. Even if you're here right now thinking, like, I don't even call myself a Christian. I'm not too sure what I even think about Jesus. I've got no idea whether God is real. Hey, listen, from the bottom of our hearts to yours, you're welcome in this house because we're building a church for people just like you because we've all once been sat in the very place where you are sat and positioned today. And I'm convinced that as we start this new series, I think that we've got to approach today's message with a slightly different mentality. And I'm just gonna be real honest and tell you why. It's because that sometimes, if you're anything like me, when I come to church, sometimes I can almost come with this mentality of like, um, come on, it better be good today. Uh, he better say something funny today. He better make me laugh or, or teach me something. But I think that the longer that I've been following Jesus, I found this one truth to be real. And that is that as far as God doing things in my life and that in yours too, there are some things that are taught and there are other things that are caught. And I'm really expecting today that you're going to catch something more than you're going to walk out of church feeling like you've been taught something. So I'm asking that you approach today's start of this series just with an open heart saying, I'm wanting to catch something new from you today, God. And even if you communicate to me like deep to deep, like even if I'm not able to hear any words that the guy at the front's going to be saying, but, but you, God, speak to the depth of my soul so I can catch something new about your character and about how you work in my life, then I think that today we're going to have a great day in the life of church. And as you leave, you'll walk out knowing, feeling and sensing like you've just heard from God. And that's not going to happen, though, unless we pray first. So, hey, Liverpool One Church, an online family too. Can we just bow our heads and close our eyes? Father, today we're inviting you to be a part of every single thing that we're about to talk about today. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would speak to us in a way that connects, in a way that makes us feel and sense your presence your longing to connect and communicate with us in a way that almost feels like this is soul to soul, deep to deep. And as we negotiate lots of Scripture today, I just pray that you would help us all to hear a message from your heart more than any other thing. And we ask this in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody at Liverpool One Church said together, Amen. 
Okay, so I'm not going to lie. We are going to be going through a whole bunch of Scripture today, and I make absolutely no apologies for that. The start of 2023 has been a really great start for us as a church. And we always kind of focus on two things. And whether you hear it spoken about in these words and phrases or not, the essence of everything that we do really is not just to hold a Sunday gathering, but actually more than building a church, we want to build a community. We want to build a community of people that are Christ followers that are trying our very best to become followers of the red text. Now I know, and I've learned this now, having done church for a whole bunch of years, that I don't think that you're ever going to find a community that is your fit anywhere, not here, not at any church, unless you've got two things at play, or at least one of them. So we call it, you need a friend and you need a job. So you're always going to hear us talk about like how amazing it is if you want to be part of a community to join a life group, because we know that you're going to need a friend in church. Like you can find Jesus on your own. You just can't follow him on your own. And when you're part of a life group, that just enables real community to happen. A bunch of people around you knowing what's going on in your life. But not only do you need a friend, statistically, you're going to need a job. Now, I know that's not going to land well with everybody. But you're always going to hear us unashamedly ask you to be involved practically in terms of the nuts and bolts of what we actually do here at Liverpool One Church. Because we do not believe at all that it's like the job of the very few staff or certain amounts or styles of volunteers to do most of the work. We think that church is really church when it's ran like the family. And it's not on in the family home, right? If it's mum that does the the cooking, and then it's mum that sets the table, and then it's mum that does the dishes afterwards. Like, it's just not on. It's not fair. It's not right. Family is when maybe one's making the dinner whilst one of the kids is setting the table, and then after dinner, someone else and another is helping clear away the table, and then they're loading the dishwasher. Like, that's family. That's what church needs to look like too. So at the start of 2023, at our last volunteer night, we had a whole bunch of you sign up and say, you know what, I'm willing to take a job at Liverpool One Church. I'm willing to volunteer. I'm willing to serve on a team. But I think that as I have seen the sheer volume and the sheer numbers of people sign up to say, hey, I'm willing to have a job at Liverpool One Church which in essence is where I'm going to be going with this message in terms of encouraging you to make sure that you've got a job. One of the things that I've been mindful of is just how when it comes to being used by God, there are a couple of problems at play. And the problems at play, if you're anything like me, is typically you can almost think that God only uses perfect people. Now, I want you to know that can't be true because I have a small part to play at this church. So we know that God does not use perfect people. In fact, if I had the chance again to put up new signage around our building, I would probably sign it up with the emblem of no perfect people allowed. Because that's what I think church should be built on. In fact, I think it's 
all of us on a journey knowing that we are completely imperfect people, yet in pursuit of a very perfect God that actually becomes our credentials for being used by God, even in the format of a local church. But a lot of people do struggle with the idea of, would God ever want to use me? Could God use someone like me? And you ask yourself that question because you know you. You know of all of the little things you get up to that nobody else knows about. You know of the white lies that you think aren't really a big deal, but to you in the stillness of the night, you know they're a big deal. Like, you know of your character. You know what you're really like. And because you know you, at times, if you're anything like me, you'll question that idea of, can God really use somebody like me? I don't think that there's a week that goes by that I lead this church and I have to continually remind myself of what scripture teaches because I ask that question all the time too. So I want to try and build up a biblical narrative today through using some of the Old Testament scriptures and stories to show you that God is absolutely committed to using you. In fact, the local church is not gonna be the same without you offering yourself wholeheartedly to God saying, okay, I might not get all of the different nuances about how and why you'd wanna use me, but I'm open to being used by you. So at the end of church today, I want you leaving and walking out with a confidence that God is going to use you. I want to go to the very first book of the Bible, It's the book of Genesis, and in that book, we're introduced to a particular character who is somewhat problematic, actually, when you look at the duration of his life. His name is Jacob, and what I want to try and do is go to a number of different scriptures that all relate to Jacob's life to prove this point home to you, that if God can use Jacob, he can absolutely use you. So Genesis 32, verses 22 through 24 says this. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives. I think we should probably just pause there for a moment because some of you are literally like, hang on a minute, like, how, how does that work? How do, we, how do we get the second wife thing on the go? I didn't know that that was a thing in church. Well, I'm glad that you're asking that question. And I'm also glad that we have very talented communicators such as Dave Alex that's gonna answer that question for us next week. I'm really appreciative to you, bro. (laughs) That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants and his 11 sons and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he'd sent them across the stream, he sent over all of his possessions. Then Jacob, all alone, left the camp. What you've got to know about God is he will very often do some of his biggest business in your life, some of that which is most important, most significant when you are all alone. In fact, the way that God worked in Jacob's life was really similar to how he would often work in the life of Jesus, where in the New Testament, it talks about Jesus would regularly go away and leave the crowd and find a place of solitude. It was like it was the blood source to his veins. And Jacob is experiencing this very same thing in this moment. God is about to do something to him that is more of a whisper to his soul directly from heaven, that it is the chunnering of the crowd 
crowd. And in order for Jacob to find that, he knows that he needs to shut the world out and get off and go to a lonely place. And now God's about to do something with him. Verse 24, it says, this Jacob, this left Jacob all alone in the camp and a man came and wrestled with him until dawn began to break. When the man saw that he could not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of its socket. Then the man said, let me go for the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. What is your name? The man asked. He replied, Jacob. Your name will no longer be Jacob, the man told him. From now on, you will be called Israel because you have fought with God and with men and have won. Okay, so the context of Genesis 32, whilst I'm now introducing to you the character of Jacob, is this was a man who has been fighting all of his life. But in Genesis 32, we actually find him fighting not with an ordinary, regular man, but actually theologians and scholars believe that this was a pre-incarnation appearance of Jesus. In other words, Jacob is literally fighting with Jesus. They're wrestling. Jacob is fighting with God. And the reason why Jacob is wrestling with this man is because Jacob is adamant that this man has something for him that he can get from no other place. He wants this man's blessing. So the fight goes on for literally hours. And actually what's funny is Jacob doesn't get off completely scot-free from the fight because he ends up having a dislocated hip, which means that he ends up having a limp for literally the rest of his life. And as a result of this fight, he starts to demand of the man, I'm not going to let you go unless you bless me. And then the man who is the pre-incarnate Jesus turns to Jacob and says, well, okay, what is your name? And Jacob tells him his name, I am Jacob. And then Jesus, God, the man that he's wrestling with, changes his name from Jacob. And he says, from this point on, you're going to be known as Israel. Because Israel has a meaning and it means that you've been triumphant with God and triumphant with man. In other words, we've had a wrestling match and you've been the victor. I think that Jacob as a character is somebody whose life really demonstrates to us that there is an inner conflict and there has been for years in the life of Jacob that is not too dissimilar to what we experience there's an inner conflict between who he knows he is and who he wants everybody else to see him as. I know what that tension is like. I'm sure that you felt and experienced that tension too. Almost like that inner wrestling of, you know the real version of you. You know of your secrets. You know of your dark places. You know of the things that you don't want anybody else to know. And then there's another side of you, which is the side of you that you want everybody else to perceive you as. Jacob is a complicated character, which is funny because when I say that, hopefully you'll find yourself in Jacob as we interrogate the scriptures together. He's complex. He's a little bit like me. He's a little bit like your wife. He's a little bit like your husband. He's a little bit like the teenage son or daughter that you're struggling with and you don't know how to cope with. Jacob is complex too, like all of we are. 
And actually, here we are with the complexities of Jacob now demanding that God would bless him. And as a result, God changes his name. The change of a name is significant. But Jacob is complicated. But Jacob's not alone in being complicated. If we were to go back through almost all of the biblical characters that we now refer to as the heroes of our faith, we find that they're all complicated. They've all got a backstory. They've all done some stuff. They've all got a history. I mean, we could also look at the character of Noah. I mean, this was a guy that literally saved humanity through the building of a boat that was called an ark. And yet literally almost the same day, he goes out and we find out that he has a drinking problem and he does all kinds of crazy stuff. I mean, there were two sides to Noah and there are two sides to Jacob. There are two sides to Abraham as well, who to many is the father of many nations, the father of our faith. And yet scriptures tell us that he was a liar. There were two sides to him. We could talk about Moses. Moses was the man who was the deliverer of the entire people of God. When they were enslaved by the Pharaoh in Egypt, he went and approached Pharaoh and said, let my people go. But Moses He had a history. He was a murderer. He was a fugitive. He'd been on the run from the authorities for years. That's who he was. Or we could talk about David, who ended up as being one of the most successful kings in all of Israel's history. And yet David, he was an adulterer. He struggled with lust. In fact, he struggled with lust so badly with one particular woman called Bathsheba that not only did he end up sleeping with her, even though she was married, but he purposefully arranged for her husband to be positioned in the next war that Israel were fighting so that he would be killed first. He was a murderer. And yet what we find is that like David and like Moses and like Abraham and like Noah, God used every single one of them. Or we could even talk about this in the New Testament. We could talk about Peter. Dave so eloquently referenced him last week. This was Peter. He preached on the day of Pentecost. And hey, if you don't know Bible history, that's absolutely okay. But just take my words for it. It was a big deal. Peter preached on this amazing day of Pentecost. And yet, just a short while earlier, he was the guy that was found around the campfire that couldn't even bring himself to acknowledge that he knew Jesus, even to a little girl. I mean, there were two sides to Peter. So if you're here attending Liverpool One Church, and maybe you feel like there's two sides to you too. Maybe you feel like there's the Christian side of you that you let your church friends see, you let your Sunday friends see, you let your life group know about, but then there's another side of you that's completely different in the office, that when you go on a night out, you lose all kind of senses of restraint. And there's two versions of you. Like there's one version of you that desperately wants to get it right. But then there's another version of you that you know you drop the ball. Well, again, I just want to reiterate, reiterate, you're in good company because there were two sides to almost all of these Bible heroes that we now look up to. And we really should have a sign on the door that says at Liverpool One Church, no perfect people allowed because chances are there are two sides to you. But how does God deal with the two sides of you? Between Genesis 25 and Genesis chapter 28, it relates to approximately 70 years of Jacob's life. 
And the scriptures do a fantastic job of clearly defining for us the extent and the breadth of which Jacob had a great job of screwing his own life up. I mean, this guy made some immense errors. He made some huge mistakes. He was completely screwed up in many areas. And I want to take a look at Genesis 25, which is really the start of Jacob's two sides to his character. It's the start of really Jacob starting on the path of causing trouble, carnage and mayhem for all of his life. So now Genesis 25, verse 21. It's talking about Jacob's father who was named Isaac. It says, Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. The Lord answered his prayer and his wife, Rebecca, became pregnant. The babies jostled each other within her. And she said, why is this happening to me? Let's just stop there for a moment. Again, it's kind of funny sometimes when you read Bible text, because now what we've actually got is we've got a couple who are so desperate for a baby that the man leads the family well and starts to pray to God to bless them with a child. And not only does God bless Isaac and Rebecca with a child, but he blesses them with twins. And now Rebecca is carrying twins. The very first thing we hear Rebecca say and call out and shout out to God is, Why is this happening to me? I mean, is that not a picture of what we do all the time? We pray to God and then when he gives us the very thing that we've been asking him to give us, we forget really quickly that he's been the provider of all the things that are good in our life. And here's Rebecca going, seriously, God, what's happening to me? But the very next line tells us that she went to inquire of the Lord, which is always a good thing, by the way, because if you've got an issue with what God's doing in your life, you should absolutely learn from the life of Rebecca and not do what, we're naturally, what we naturally have a tendency to do, which is when we've got an issue, we go to Facebook, we go to Instagram, we go to our friends, we go to the guys at the bar. What we don't do is what Rebecca did is she went to inquire of the Lord. Verse 23, then the Lord said to her, the two nations are in your womb, and two people from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the other will serve the younger. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment, so they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel, so he was named Jacob. So here we have the account of the birth of Jacob and his twin brother Esau. Esau is the eldest, which is a big deal. And we're going to take a brief look at why that is in just a moment. But what we find is, is that Esau is the firstborn and Jacob comes second. But when Jacob is being born, he is literally grabbing hold of the heel of Esau. It's almost like there's a part of Jacob right from his birth, where he's wanting to be first. I think there's a part of every single one of us that wants to be first. I think there's a part of every single one of us that even though we like it when other people win, we get a little bit jealous and we get a little bit envious that it's not us winning in the same way that they are. Jacob was just like that. He wanted to be first. So the name that was given to Esau was Esau, but then the second born was Jacob because it means the heel grabber. I'm so glad that Jacob grabbed 
the part of his brother's anatomy that was his heel and not any other part of his male anatomy. Otherwise, I'm not too sure what name he would have been given and I'm quite certain he would have had a difficult time in school. But I think the reason why Jacob was so adamant that he wanted to grab onto the heel because he wanted to be first was because in this culture, being the firstborn was a massive deal. It was so significant because you got two things afforded to you as the firstborn that nobody else was given. The first thing that you would get if you were the eldest child is that you would get what was called the birthright. The birthright meant that you would be next in line to be the leader of the family. It meant that when the father's inheritance was passed down, you would get double the portion than everybody else would get. So in the the case of this with just Esau and Jacob, if their father had passed away, it would have meant that Esau would have got two parts or two thirds of the inheritance and Jacob would have been left with one third. He just would have got more. He would have had more power. He would have had a greater position. He would have been in charge of the direction that the family would take. But not only would he be a recipient of the birthright, but he'd also be a recipient of the blessing. The blessing was a big deal because in Jewish culture, the father would lay his right hand on top of the head of the firstborn and he would pray a sincere, devout prayer of blessing, asking that God would bless his firstborn. It was a big deal. And Jacob didn't have either the birthright or the blessing, but he wanted to be first. I mean, Jacob was the kind of person that through any opportunity that was presented to him through his life, he was going to try and strive and fight if he had to, to become first, even if it meant he was going to have to fight his way to the top. I mean, the boy has only just been born and he's already fighting, you know, he's already reaching and striving to get at the heel of Esau. But being the heel grabber was not the worst part of Jacob's character. You see, Jacob was a blackmailer. There's another part of scripture that we haven't really got time to go to, but there's an account that happens whereby Jacob, who was prone to hanging out with his mum in the tents, so whilst his older brother and his father and the family would all be out hunting for game, well, Jacob, he liked to stay home and hang around his mum and he would prepare some food. And one day Esau had traveled back home and he came into the, into the tent And you could only picture it like this. He is exhausted. I mean, at the point at which he's literally about to pass out, like probably even medically unwell. He is so fatigued. And he goes to Jacob and he says, Jacob, you've just got to give me some food. Can you feed me? Can you prepare a meal for me? But Jacob, not being one to ever let an opportunity goes by, check this. He turns around to his brother and he says, okay, brother of mine, I'll make you some food but on the sole condition that you in return give me the birthright. Can you believe this? His brother is about to pass out and now Jacob is saying, hey, listen, yeah, I'll give you some chicken soup. I'll give you some stew. I'll give you some scouse. I've got a great bowl on the the hob out there. I can feed you, but here's the deal. In return for me giving you some food, I want your birthright. I mean, what I can't believe is that Esau agreed to this. But even more than that, I can't believe that Jacob proposed this. I mean, 
What is really going on in the depth of this man's soul to be that adamant, to blackmail your own brother in this way? But blackmailing wasn't the worst part about Jacob either. (laughs) In fact, not only was Jacob the heel grabber and the deceiver and the blackmailer, but he was also the deceiver. In fact, one of the greatest deception stories that has ever been told in Scripture, you will find that Jacob is the main villain of the entire story. Because this is what happens in Genesis 27, when his father is old and his eyes are failing, the greatest deception story ever is about to be told. He went to his father and said, my father, yes, my son, he answered, who is it? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. See how he's lying to his dad? He's gone into his father's tent and he's telling his dad that he is in fact Esau when he's not. He is Jacob. I have done as you've told me. Please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. So now he's got the birthright. Now Jacob's after the blessing too. Isaac asked his son, how did you find it so quickly, my son? The Lord your God gave me success, he replied. Then Jacob said, then Isaac said to Jacob, come near so I can touch you, my son, to know whether you really are my son Esau or not. Jacob went close to his father, Isaac, who touched him and said, the voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He did not recognize him for his hands were hairy like those of his brother Esau. So he proceeded to bless him. Are you really my son Esau? He asked, I am, he replied. Then he said, my son, bring me some of your game to eat so that I may give you the blessing. This right here was a plan that was concocted between Jacob and his mother, Rebecca, where he literally ended up putting goat's skin on his arms because Esau was the hairy monster of the family. And Jacob, he was like clean shaven all of the time. So in order for this deception to work, not only did he have to lie to his dad about which which son of his he actually was, but he covered his arms in goat skin so that when his dad reached out to him and said, let me touch you, come near to me so I can find out if it's really you. He ends up stroking the skin of a dead goat. I mean, how gross is that? But that is the level of deception that Jacob was willing to go to. He's already got the birthright. Now he wants the blessing. So what we find is that Jacob, he lies to his dad and tells him that he's Esau when really he's Jacob. He puts the skin of a goat on his arms to further expedite the deception process. And then he also lies to his dad about God. Because when his dad says to him, how were you able to prepare a meal so quick? Where did you get the game from? Jacob, pretending to be Esau, says, well, the thing is, dad, God just caught it for me. God blessed me. God brought this to my attention really easily. And I was able to prepare a meal so quickly. It is like the greatest deception ever as Esau, uh, sorry, as um What's the father's name? As Jacob's father, Isaac, now reaches onto Jacob and he places his right hand and he starts to pray a prayer of blessing. Now, when the dad finds out, when Esau finds out, he's livid. He is mad. He is outraged. So much so 
that for a season in Jacob's life, he also ends up having to become a fugitive and he goes on the run. 21 years, he stays on the run in hiding. But here's the thing. Years go by and the story of Jacob's life ends up being one that knows that his life has been blessed and touched by God. He ends up being used by God in a mighty way. What's interesting about Jacob's character, though, is not how God responds to Jacob, who was given this new name in the wrestling match of Israel that means triumphant with God. What's fascinating is what God does to another one of the Bible heroes in our faith, whose name is Moses. One day, Moses ends up going up onto the mountain because he's trying to figure out like, what is God's plan for the people who are at the bottom of the mountain? And Moses, whilst he's up on the mountain, ends up having this burning bush experience with God. I mean, check this out. It sounds kind of weird, but this is all in the Bible. How fascinating is this? And God Almighty ends up communicating with Moses. And he like, he gives him a plan and they have a conversation. And Moses is just absolutely in awe. Like here is the God of heaven and earth communicating to him through the form of a burning bush. But what's absolutely fascinating is that when Moses asks God a question. And he's basically saying to the burning bush, look, I'm the leader of the nation. The people are at the bottom of the mountain. I'm here talking to you in a burning bush. But when I go back down off the mountain, who do I tell the people at the bottom of the mountain? Who do I tell them that I've been speaking to? Who do I tell them has sent me? Who do I tell them that you are? So Moses literally turns around and he asks this question. He says, who shall I say that you are? Imagine the scene. He's talking to the burning bush. He's saying, I've got to go back and lead the people. Who should I say that you are? And the answer is a game changer. What God now responds to Moses will change completely how you see God sees you. Because in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, in answer to that question, where God is having this conversation with Moses, He responds to him and He says this, Say this to the people of Israel, Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me. He calls him the God of Abraham, who was Jacob's grandfather. He calls him the God of Isaac, who was Jacob's father. But then he says, I'm also the God of Jacob. And this has happened years after God, through the wrestling match, has changed Jacob's name. He's changed his name from Jacob to Israel. And what you find in Scripture is that those two words, those two names are used interchangeably. 
And at the moment where Moses is saying to God, who do I tell the people that you are? God responds to him by giving him a name and says, I am Yahweh and I'm Yahweh, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and I'm the God of Jacob. Sometimes you've got to wonder, why did he use the name Jacob and not Israel? Why didn't he say, I'm the God of Abraham and I'm the God of Isaac and I'm the God of Israel. I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Israel's the new name. I'm the God of Abraham, and I'm the God of Isaac, and I'm the God of Israel. Jacob had been given that name, and yet it's not the name that God chooses to use for him. He turns around and he says, I'm the God of Abraham, I'm the God of Isaac, and I'm the God of Jacob. I'm the God of Jacob. I am the God of the heel grabber. I am the God of the one who was the blackmailer. I am the God of the one who was the deceiver. And now I'm asking you to start to see yourself in the character of Jacob because when we think about God and who He wants to use and who He wants to relate to, we see it as being because God is perfect and we're not, there must be some sort of a void there because God could never use somebody like me. But now before Moses, what we see and what we find and what we feel is that God is making this perfectly, abundantly clear to Moses. And he's saying, no, no, I'm the God of Jacob. Remember the blackmailer? Remember the story about the deception? Remember the one that was fighting all of the time? Remember the one that wanted to be first all of the time? I'm the God of him too. He was saying to Moses, look, here's the bottom line. I'm not just the God of your success, but I'm the God of all of your striving and all of your failure and all of your imperfections. And I'm not ashamed to be known as that kind of a God. I'm not ashamed to be known as the kind of God that is the God of the heel grabber. I'm not ashamed to be known as the God of the deceptive ones. I'm not ashamed to be known as the God of the blackmailers and the liars and the fibbers and people with a history and with an addiction and with a problem and with a story and with a thousand reasons why you could say God would never want to know me. God right now in the very first book of all that we now follow. He's saying, no, no, I am the God of Jacob. I'm the God of the worst part of you as well as the best part of you. That's the reason why you can have confidence today that God not only wants a real, authentic relationship with you, but He wants to use you. He wants to literally consume your life and give you a new purpose and a new design and a new plan so that you could live every single day knowing, feeling and sensing like you're called by Him, that you're here for a purpose that is way above and beyond you that you get to play a part in the world that's more than just nine to five, paying the bills, being a parent. You get to play a part in changing lives for Christ one life at a time because He's the God of Jacob too. He's not just the God of the holier than holy people. He's not just the God of those that have gone to church all of their life. He's not just the God of those with the perfect patterns and habits in every stream and plethora of life that they walk in. He's the God of the me's and the you's and our broken bits are used by God for His glory and His goodness. So if you've ever wondered about yourself, could God ever use someone like me? Remind yourself that He's not only the God of Abraham and of Isaac, but He's the God of the Jacob's too. He's the God of the worst parts about you. 
He's the God of the secret part about you. When you're struggling to balance the tension, here's who I really wanna be, but man, I feel like my life is a million million miles away from that. He's the God of that part of you. So don't you ever, don't you ever, Liverpool One Church, disqualify yourself from being used by God, maybe even the through the format of a local church because you're confused about how to wrestle with the tension, those two sides of you. No, no. If He's the God of Jacob, then He's the God of you too. Church, let's stand to our feet. We're gonna pray and we're gonna sing some more. Let's just close our eyes and bow our heads real quick. Heavenly Father, we know that Your Word is so clear in telling us about Your character. And You also know of how difficult we find it sometimes to almost reconcile Your goodness against our characters, which oftentimes falls well short of that. But today we, as a church family, say we wanna be used by You. Lord, we want a job. Lord, we wanna be a servant of You in the format of a local church, yes, and in our communities, yes, and in our families, yes. We wanna be used by You. So remind us when we feel the weight of the pressure that You are the God of Jacob too. Remind us that You're the God of the worst part about us too. And let us know convincingly that you're the God that wants to use us too. Amen. With every head still bowed and every eye still closed, I just wanna pray one real prayer right now that you can just respond in your own heart whilst no one else is looking around, nobody else is, nobody else is focused on you because right now everybody else is focused on their own life placement and their own relationship with God. But if you've never made a decision to become a follower of Jesus, like you've never thought that there would be a God that would love you and accept you and want you to be part of His family. But today's the day that you wanna say, I wanna come home to God. I wanna know Him. I wanna live in residence in His family. I'm gonna invite you to pray this prayer in your heart after me right now, whilst every head is bowed and every eye is closed. Father in heaven, I'm choosing to believe in you today. And I'm putting my faith in all that you are. I believe that you're real. I believe you gave your son Jesus to die on a cross for me. So forgive me of my sin and make me new and whole again. As I choose to follow in your ways, I invite you to live in my life. I invite you to live in my heart and I'm asking to be used by you. Thanks for joining us today. We hope that you can take that message and apply it to your life. Also, don't forget to take a moment to subscribe, rate and review this podcast. To get connected or stay more connected to the life of Liverpool One Church and learn how you can join us live, visit liverpoolonechurch.com. Thanks again for joining us and we hope to see you again soon.